All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, episode 36, discussing Sharknado. We are here today with our guest, Daniel, and of course the co-host, Robert, filling in with uh, me, now the main host, Drake, that I have now hey seized their private property. I have seized the means of podcast production, and I am not giving them back. Robert, any thoughts on this? I've always wanted to call me on the show. I'm glad to hear, buddy. Honestly, should have happened a lot sooner. I need to yeah. go take the Reed Rothbard feed next. Absolutely, my it, friend. It is just sitting there unused <laughs> at the moment. Ah, uh, that's true. It, you're putting mostly articles in there, right? That one's the readings of articles and not books, right? Or is no, that that one's lectures? No, that one's book. Okay, I'm, I'm forgetting which one's which now. No. Reed Rothbard is the audio books, and Enemy of the State is the lectures, right? That's right. You're correct. Okay. But However, comma. Crazy. The uh, the books have not been getting loaded for a while, and the lectures are complete at this point. They're off the wagon. Gotcha. If you want to know more about these lectures and books and everything else, you can find it in the show notes at actualanarchy.com slash 36. And, of course, if you enjoy this content and you want to see more of it and you want to see the roughly an hour of behind-the-scenes work and conspiracy planning that we have done about turning frogs gay, you can go to actualanarchy.com slash titchar and see ways to support the show, including the many rewards on Patreon. And also see videos of Daniel's beautiful face as we kidnap him and steal the show. That's pretty good, man. You're doing better than Daniel does. We got a new host. Maybe a little. Maybe a little. Communism is working out for us. <laughs> Honestly, when has communism ever not worked out? It's true. Hashtag not real communism. You know what? Maybe that's why the sharks were so successful. Maybe the sharks are communists also. You know, they're successful for the length of the runtime, but then not so much towards the end. Wouldn't you but agree? You forget epi- but you forget movies two through five. I don't forget. I never saw them. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what actually takes place other than more of the same. Is it, is oh, it not it's more so of the same? Good. It is so good. Okay. I'm not just saying these movies are great. I am saying this is at least top three most libertarian movies on the show. I was, no. I was initially going to say number one, but then you had, what, what's it called? The Dallas Buyers Club? And I, it can't be Dallas yeah. Buyers. It's at least top three most libertarian movies on the show. Could you beat Ghostbusters? I said top three, not top two. Ah, okay, all right. I'm just wondering. Yeah. Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters probably has a beat. Okay. But okay. and also by the time this episode comes out, number five, Global Swarming, will be out. Probably the greatest Sharknado so far. <laughs> it comes out on August sixth. If you are not like rerunning every single old one up until the intro and then watching that as it comes out, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Let's now, be is this, are these is the same creative team behind? The same, yeah. all hey, of them, hey, like, hey, that's, that's them all. being generous, Robert. That's being very generous. Kind <laughs> of a creative team. Okay, actually, speaking of which, let's go into that because not only is the movie libertarian, but the asylum, the group that creates Sharknado, 
is incredibly libertarian. Just the com- production company behind it. So you got to hear about this. They are a tiny independent film company that has made, I think it's like 60 movies or so. They have never made a movie that did not turn a profit out of like 60 movies. Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of it, some of it's this like weird direct to sci-fi stuff that's on purpose bad. Like when they make, what is it? Giant shark versus uh, crocodile saurus and other things like that. Mm-hmm. But they'll also just make random really niche movies or parodies um, like Sunday School Musical, a Catholic Sunday School version of High School Musical, or when they make, uh, what is it, Transmorphers, which is like Transformers with lesbian stars. Can't be or, worse than the real thing. Or they have all of this great stuff that you are just missing out on. Ah, here it is. Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus. <laughs> the title alone has got me. <laughs> Isn't it great? And they have all these other things. They did a Abe Lincoln versus zombies instead of versus vampires. They have all kinds of stuff. So great. Sounds really, that, really uh, great. So what uh, is the main point that you're claiming that they're libertarian and that they've all turned a profit? Or well, do you have I'm, anything else? It might be more that part's just saying they're incredible, like, capitalists filling a, filling a niche where people okay. want things, and especially doing it while, like, they're, they're just providing value and voluntarily creating something people want for very, very low prices. I think their average movie budget's around $100,000, which is nothing. Like, Sharknado is their biggest budget at, like, $1.2 or something. Now, um, with the Sharknado franchise, I'm putting mm-hmm. that franchise in quotation marks, you got, um, what, Tara Reid and Ian Ziering, these, the, the two main, quote, stars that are running through these movies? <laughs> you have a lot of quotes. Yeah, lots of quotes. They actually had to tell, like, get them to act bad. Like, they have to be, they, they had to purposely act worse than they act. Which okay, is your claim, you're making the dramatic claim that Tara Reid was bad acting on purpose. In Sharknado. I am making the claim that that is what has been repeatedly stated across multiple interviews and, like, news about the show, is that they hired actors and then wanted them to act worse than they normally do. Like, they had to back that on purpose. But she, she failed She did not do that, Drake. She did not do that. She was the same person in Big Lebowski and in American Pie. And every other movie she's ever been in, she's the same person. Okay, then they might have hired at least one actor that was already bad. Okay. Yeah, but no, she delivered her lunch really (laughs) stiff and wooden and poorly. I mean, she was just terrible in this movie. You don't know, Daniel. You didn't watch it. But yeah, she was terrible. I saw her do the berating of of the Ian Ziering character, whatever his name was, Steve something in 90210, saying when she answers the phone, she's like, I know who this is. I know your voice. You don't need to tell me who you are. Something. something yeah, well, really if you had watched the rest of the movie, you would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's so great. I love it. And also, then there's other stuff about how they've been, like, dealt with unions. They're pretty against unions. There was some great tweet by, like, the producer about how, when they had union troubles, about how they're, like, having more difficulties with the shark unions than the people union. Or, I think I fired most of the cast and, like, worked with a different one. But there's lots of other neat stuff there. So, would you company. say that these are schlock for schlock's sake, understanding knowingly schlock and trying to be nothing but schlock? Um, the Sharknado franchise, yes. It is one of the direct uh, sci-fi channel movies that people literally want to watch awful sci-fi movies. And that's what they're for. I mean, my brother just, my brother and his friends will do the same thing. They'll just, like, get together and, like, they're bored and put on one of the terrible sci-fi movies to laugh at. 
Like it's the kind of thing that you drink and make fun of. And especially for at least me, it's something that I grew up enjoying because I used to go and go to blockbusters and get all the old Godzilla films to watch. And those were made to be, I believe they were made to be good, but they ended up just being awful and hilarious. And someone decided to remake that. Well, I will say, I will say that I was watching this movie yesterday um, with three retired people, and I did not expect them to enjoy the movie at all. <laughs> but we were all sitting around the TV just laughing the whole time. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, not a feel. it's, like, it's like a though. it's like a train wreck, though, right? You're laughing at how terrible it is. Oh yeah, yes. oh, yeah. the humanity. It's the fucking Hindenburg on fire. Actually, I'm gonna need to check. They might have a movie that's just a bunch of footage of train wrecks. Well, they did use a lot of yeah. shock, uh, stock footage in this movie. Oh, yeah, and all the jump cuts and, like, the totally different lighting and different, Ooh, like, I forgot. situations. Like, everything was so poorly edited together. Well, yeah, you'll have one scene, one group of people in one shot standing there, and it's, like, perfectly nice weather, no wind. And then they'll cut to what they're looking at, which is, like, 100 feet away, and it's, like, a tornado. <laughs> yeah, so like, great. Okay. <laughs> oh, and, and you guys, you don't even get how much more you get in the later movies. Oh, it's you're missing out. Well, they're all Shark, on Netflix. So Sharknado Four: The Force Awakens. The sorry, The Fourth Awakens. When the what's the main the female blonde? What's her name? Terry. Um, yeah, Terry. When she is brought back as a cyborg, and she takes off her hand to reveal the lightsaber chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> slicing apart chart. So good. You're you turning me into a fan, right? Uh, no, I am. I I watched the first one. Then we had to move this back. So we wanted to move the interview closer to Shark Week. And then I watched all the other three. So good. Pulls my heartstrings. Also, if you want to see really bad cinematography, you need to bring me back on and we can do The Room. Do you know the movie? I do know that movie. The, the Canadian movie that was from like, like two years ago? Yes. Well, no, it was older than that. But it is famously bad. The movie itself, I, I thought the movie itself got pretty good reviews, but you're saying the cinematography is bad? Or just the when, whole thing? The movie The Room, like the the one with the, you're tearing me apart, Lisa, and the spoons and everything. Well, it's like a mom and she's got a kid and they live in this shack. Okay, that's yeah. a different movie. You're thinking of a different okay. movie. Okay, okay. Um, most, okay, I'm, I'm now officially dubbing myself as new emperor of this podcast. I'm dubbing myself the millennial correspondent. Millennials will know what The Room is. It's kind of like, you know the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Sure. It's that kind of deal, where it's famously lots of problems with it, and people go to movie theaters, and you have a full thing that happens. Like, on a bedside table, there's a bunch of framed pictures of spoons, and every time that comes up, people throw spoons at the screen, or you have people come in costume and act things out, and just all kinds of stuff. It is an experience. It is not. It is... Okay, we we need to do that. I don't even know if it's libertarian, but... It's something that you need to do. It seems like something I need to experience at least once. Yeah. You could theoretically watch it on I don't think they're going to. They're not going to have that out. They're not going to have that out where you are, Robert. It's called The Room? Of course they will. The Room. Yeah, well, actually, we can do it. Just watch it on YouTube. Um, uh, 2003. Okay, drama, film, romance. All right. It has a 32% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that's really high. Yeah, much higher than I expected. Although it is funny because then the Google user, 68% like it because people always watch it. It was, supposed, it was made to be a serious drama, and it's not. But, okay, getting off track here. So let's dive into the movie. 
Actually, yeah, wait, who, who does the Wikipedia summary reading? That's usually Daniel. Ah, darn it. Do I have to do it then? Oh, well, this is so well, much work. Daniel needs to be able to say something on the show. I mean, he hasn't watched the movie, and we took away his hosting duties, so he's going to have <laughs> almost no presence on this episode, so maybe he should get to do something. Yeah, you guys you know automated me out of a job. I need my union to say that I have to be the one to do specific tasks that either one of you are perfectly capable of doing, but I need to still have my job. Well, you know what happens. Every time there's a communist takeover that's trying to remove all of the evil capitalists that are stealing from the workers with the profit is theft and all that, eventually they end up just kind of going back to the same old system. So as communist emperor, I will now delegate you the task of summarizing Sharknado. Go, Daniel, go. I believe in you. You can do this. And he's gone. Go, go, go. Go, Johnny. <laughs> go, go, go. All right. Well, I, hey, I just want to mention that this is actualanarchy.com slash 36 for the show notes page for this. And we have a tip jar page at actualanarchy.com slash tip jar, which Drake already told you all about. So thank you for doing that, Drake. <laughs> and by the way, you have a website called The Guide to Libertarianism. Forget the. It's just www.guidetolibertarianism.com, where you have reviews and information about various podcasts that you enjoy and listen to. And you are one of the biggest consumers of podcast content that I am aware of, especially in the libertarian and liberty movement. So there's a lot of good content that's on the way to that site. And you've been working on it for a while now. And as of this recording, it's not yet live. But... <laughs> This yeah. episode is not going to come out until uh, the 13th of August, so you've got almost two weeks to get that up and running. Yeah, I kind of I was working on it, and then I just being in Japan and all this stuff, I pretty much stopped for a long while. But as soon as I get back into the U.S., I have a lot more free time, and this week I should have enough time to at least get it presentable, although not full, because the end goal is first I'm going to do all the podcasts and then all of the major institutions, and then YouTube channels, and then just general sites and blogs, and then actual physical events and Facebook groups. And I really want a full list of like, a guide to libertarianism. Like, it's just kind of there's a lot of content out there. Most people don't have time to find it. And especially if you, you're new to it, or you want to find a good political quiz that's not biased, or you want to say, hey, I'm an ANCAP, but I want to convince my socialist friend or my neocon friend, and if I give them the ANCAP stuff I listen to, they're going to think I'm insane. I want, like, a moderate view that kind of folk that is friendly to the left or something like that. So that is my end goal, and hopefully I'm going to get there. I think that's a noble pursuit. Yeah, me too. You know, Robert and I are going to go to the Larkin Rose event. The day that this episode is recorded or uh, published is when we're going to be hanging out with Larkin Rose, learning about his Candles in the Dark program, which is all about being an advocate for anarchy and volunteerism. Very nice. I got to see um, Adam Kokish's tour. I actually got to speak at it because he it's very, he just essentially said any liberty advocate in the area can speak at it. So I did. Um, I want to go to the thousandth episode so bad, but I can't. Oh, are you guys going? Tom Woods' thousandth episode? I uh, know that's down in Florida or something, right? Orlando? Yeah, Orlando in September. Yeah. I want to go, but marching band, I have a game that day, and ugh, what can you do? You can yeah, make yeah. A, a decision and choose what is going to be a one-time, once-in-a-lifetime event versus marching a game band. that you're going to, you've done a, a million times and can do a million more. Yeah. Sorry, I stick to my contracts. Like, all good communists only do exactly what they promise to do, and 
always turn power over to the people. Ha! I want to mention a couple of things. One is we had intended to do this episode for Shark Week, which was July 23rd through July 30th. We're a bit beyond that. We're a bit late, a couple of days late, and that's just due to scheduling conflicts. But one of the events I wanted to mention with Shark Week was Michael Phelps is going to race a freaking shark. He called it the Great Race or the Big Race. Great Gold versus Great White. And the Great White was, Race. Uh, yeah, the Great White Race. Totally Nazi. And it was on <laughs> July 30th, so just a couple of days ago. We're recording this August August 1st. And from what I saw in the news, I didn't actually see the event. Phelps got his ass handed to him. So take that, golden boy. Two seconds. Well, yeah. I mean, a, a human can swim like five miles an hour and a shark can swim like 30 miles an hour, something like that. So, it's, yeah, I'm not really close. Yeah, it's like trying to ride a fucking cheetah. They also yeah. gave him like some fins and other stuff. And the sharks only swim that fast, like short burst. But he got so pretty it, close. Although people so got was, freaked out because the shark wasn't actually in the pool. They just motion captured actual sharks swimming around and then CGI'd it. Oh. Uh, people were upset. Honestly, should have put him in the same pool. And if you want Phelps to win, just tie the meat to him and he'll swim faster. <laughs> exactly. He's put the start off the shark behind him. Yeah. Uh, and put some blood on him, and then, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just get a little too aggressive with the cupping, you know, and then the shark will smell that and go even faster. So, yeah, then it would be actually interesting and fun. <laughs> yep. Speaking of interesting and fun, Sharknado. Yeah, Sharknado. Now, another thing that's a recent event is John Hurd, who is the old dude in this one, and he's in this picture here I'm posting for our Patreon folks. Uh, he died recently. He was the dad in Home Alone. That's a very sad thing. So in a way, we're sort of Shark Week. We're sort of John Hurd just died, and Sharknado 5 is coming out. So it's it's a great confluence of events here that result in do us doing. Open. Right. Even though none of those events, we had no awareness of any of these three events back well, we when. Um, well, we knew about Sharknado. We knew about Shark Week. We knew about Shark Shark Week, yeah. When when we were talking to Drake about this probably four months ago, five months ago. So it just happens that Sharknado 5, John Hurd, the whole thing is happening. So let's move right into the Google description. It's so short. It's the shortest one I've ever, ever experienced. It is literally 11 words. <laughs> Not a lot to get wrong oh. here. The Sharknado 2013 science fiction horror film, one hour, 27 minutes, 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's surprising. 59% on Google. People liked it. So, so that's, that's actually a very telling Drake. Uh, <laughs> and the description reads, a monstrous storm devastates Los Angeles, leaving the streets flooded and infested with sharks. Scene. That's it. That's the whole description. I, I find very much lacking, even in the 23 minutes of the movie that I saw, I saw much more than that happening. Yep. Oh, fuck you do. People just don't appreciate art. Perth before you know, I, I, <laughs> you do mention art, which rhymes with fart, and I, I, I was telling my wife last night, oh, I gotta watch this movie, Sharknado, and she was like, that looks terrible. That looks stupid. And it's like, I agree with you. <laughs> So here's what happened to me, Drake, last night. Okay. I started watching it, got 17 minutes into it, and then I started getting messages from the person that I was uh, trying to exchange our digital movie library with. And he was like, why isn't this working? What's going on? So I started focusing on that, and I spent probably two hours trying to fix that with no success, I might add, instead of watching this movie and being prepared for this for this episode. So that's my story. So on your, on your value list, your value scale listed some movie thing with somebody that had no time sensitivity versus... This movie that had a, a large time sensitivity because we, you knew you were going to be recording it the next day. 
Right, but I knew within that first 17 minutes how terrible this was. <laughs> and I've invested a fair amount of money and effort into this voodoo library. And to think that it has been sullied due to some, what do you call it, the UCMA, like copyright bullshit. No, no, no. I, I attempted to do something that they say is possible. And then they give you all these weird, like, mm, things to agree to that don't mm-hmm. make any Contract. sense. Their FAQ, the FAQs are all contradictory. It's all legalese. And if you read it one way, it means this other thing. If you read it another way, it means something entirely different. It's like reading a, a, a bill in Congress or the back of a government form or, or whatever. So you can't be right and you can't be wrong. It's great. Anyway, I did not prepare. So that's why Drake took over on this episode. But that was the Google description, folks. Yeah, I'm interested to see. Uh, Drake is going to be the uh, man in the in the cockpit driving this thing because I watched it. I took notes. But the extent of my notes were like this. Runaway Ferris wheel. Lots of rain. Old guy with chair gets eaten. Um, I mean, it just, I was just writing down what was happening because I wasn't seeing a whole lot to discuss. I mean, it's not like there's like moral actors in this movie or really like government regulations gone awry or anything like that. So I'm interested to see what Drake's going to bring. So Drake, why don't you take it away? What's the first thing you have on your uh, note list, everybody? I can't believe you didn't see more. Like literally. The opening scene is about all of the sharks having their fins cut off and then dumped back in the ocean and the waste that would never happen if we privatized the ocean. Oh, yeah. There was an opening scene with, like, some uh-huh. on a boat. And, They're like, a, a guy boat. was shooting another guy for no reason. Well, it was there also was, like, a black market transaction where they didn't agree to price in advance. The The business person had to come out on the boat to do it secretly and then... I don't remember which one got shot, but they essentially, the owner, the captain of the boat demanded more money and threatened him, which if they could make a legal contract and have it agreed to it on land where the business person wasn't at the mercy of the captain, this never would have happened. Like it was literally a case of black market transactions, lack of privatization over regulation. Okay. See more. You, you probably have some points there, <laughs> but let's, let's, Let's talk exactly what what was happening in that scene. So the businessman was buying shark fins. Is that right? Yes. Okay, from this one fisher guy that is in the process of harvesting the shark fins. Yeah, and, and then, they're doing the thing that environmentalists hate where you take up the shark, just cut off the fin, and then add the rest of the body there. And I think they were dumping them back in. Okay. And then how does this start the make the sharks angry, turn them into the tornado? Is that is there anything um, that happens over the rest of the plot? No, no, it's totally unrelated. It's just the first. It's just the first instance of the sharks attacking something. I think it's just for like the dramatic irony and juxtaposition of people killing sharks than sharks killing people back. Okay, okay, I got you. It's more of a All right. cinematograph cinematographic thing. So okay, so now Maybe. I know what we're talking about. Um, repeat what you said about um, the regulation and the contracts and the, and the businessman going on board the boat where he wouldn't have had to otherwise. Yeah, so there are a couple issues to it. If I I believe in most places it is illegal to harvest sharks for their fins and to make shark fin soup is illegal in a number of areas. I don't remember exactly where because I don't know. Um not an expert on shark law. I should be though. Um so because of that, you cannot hire a normal fisherman to go and catch the sharks. You have to hire people in the black market. And of course, you have to make your dealing secretive. You have no actual, um, what's it called? 
quality testing procedure and quality insurance procedure so the person is on the boat so that he can actually taste the sharks and see the quality of the sharks made into a soup, which will then let them better determine pricing because there's no outside, um, what's it called, third-party verification. There's no underwriter's laboratory. There's no testing because it's all illegal. Which then leads to other problems, which then, of course, leads to unintended consequences, where if you had the business person with a briefcase of cash on a boat at sea and he could just mysteriously die and go missing without people really doing much, that creates a bit of a perverse incentive for the captain, since he could just kill him, keep the money, and then sell the sharks again. And on top of that, just the privatization aspect of the oceans, no one owns sharks. No one has, thus, no one has an incentive to protect the sharks. If someone owned the sharks and if they made money off of them, you could probably bet that they would do something about hundreds of them being killed. I mean, just look at how much people react if you kill hundreds of their cattle. I mean, there's been Family feuds and deaths and wars started over less than 100 cattle, probably. Yeah, there are plenty of real-life uh, instances of what you're talking about and happening. I mean, besides the drug war, but um, with the uh, privatization of endangered species and things like that, um, in uh, there's a famous case in Africa where um, they actually just privatized. Um, like a guy just bought a whole area where there are different endangered species, and you know you you prevent the people from coming in and poaching on your land, uh, on your animals. And, yeah, the species are actually making quite a strong comeback. I, I can't think off the top of my head what that story was exactly, but um, I bet you if you did a Google search, you'd find out. Um, we were actually talking about Roger Paxton in the pre-show, and he has a specific episode covering um, the privatization. I believe it was of the white rhinos. Um, I can send that link to you and put it in the show notes. That's probably exactly the thing I was thinking of. And there's a couple of this very interesting issues with that. Um, one of them being that if you not have that in place, two people in Africa, the rhinos and elephants are actually just danger, dangerous pests. Like they literally just destroy crops and kill people. Like we see them, oh, hey, pretty lovely elephant. I love it. Don't kill them. To them, it's literally destroying their livelihood. It's like you're trying to tell Americans, hey, don't kill locusts. Locusts are great. doesn't make any sense. But once you privatize them, once you say, hey, this village can make millions of dollars off of selling one of their elephants every year after breeding and growing more, then all of a sudden they care about those elephants a lot. I believe there's yeah. actually been some other stuff with harvesting, the, like the tusks while they're still alive. There's other interesting things about how if you kill the largest male in a community, it actually leads to a higher population because the largest male will generally prevent other males from mating and then decrease the overall um, fertility of the population. So there's a lot of other factors that go into it. My favorite example is the buffalo in the United States, which when they were not privately owned, fell from multiple millions down to under 300 buffalo. And now that they're allowed to be privately owned, there's over double as many privately owned in captivity as there are in the wild at around 60,000. Absolutely. Daniel, you got any points to contribute to this? Well, you mentioned a point earlier that the captain and the Asian dude were shooting at each other for apparently no reason. And they were hiding from each other and then came out in the open pointing guns at each other and it seemed like a weird standoff. I don't understand how standoffs work. Like, if you were in a position to where you had your gun drawn on somebody, why would you hesitate in shooting them just because they also have a gun? Like, wouldn't it be behoove you to be the first to fire? Like, I don't understand this movie trope of pointing guns at each other, and that's somehow preventing person A from shooting person B. 
Can you guys I, elaborate I on that? Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, no, no, I agree with you, but I also have no answer. Like maybe when you get shot, you jerk and pull your finger and shoot, or maybe it's like a callback to how inaccurate people actually are with pistols. Like you'd be surprised how much people miss close range. Like if, if I just end up shooting you in the shoulder and not like in the head, then you can shoot me back kind of deal. But honestly, not really sure. There's also, I don't think people really fully understand, or what do I know, fully understand, but um, there's kind of a controversy over uh, in Star Wars over whether Han shot first or not, or Greedo shot first. And well, they changed they changed it in uh, the first edition. Right. In the original film, in the original theatrical release, Han did shoot first. And then George Lucas, because he wanted to make Han a, quote, like a better guy, he made it so that Greedo shot first, which I think on George Lucas's understanding of like morality is like really weird because if you got a guy who pulls a gun on you who cares if you shot first or not you got a guy that just pulled a gun on you he could shoot and pull that trigger at any time you you're you have every right to pull a gun and try and shoot before he shoots you um especially since the guy greedo was like making nothing but like threatening comments about it the whole time too uh i mean of course context is everything but in the general sense if someone pulls a gun on you you have every right to expect that they could pull that trigger at any time and that they intend to destroy you. And they, So, from my point of view, yeah, you're, you're acting self-defensively after after that happens. Not to derail the conversation. Well said. <laughs> it's true. Anyway. All right, Drake, so what else do you have for us? Uh, we've got, let's see here, I've got the Wikipedia, if that's helpful, but doesn't seem to no, have I'm, much more I'm information than the Google description. I have a couple of... Um, other things. Let's go jump jump around a bit forward to when they are on the freeway and the main character's car is not in the water, but there are other people left behind that need help. So okay, this is right where the the old guy takes out the chair. I believe so. It's a little bit I think like a Court of the Wings movie. Um, so it is just a good example of how people voluntarily help others. I, you, you don't really think about it, but how often do you hear like people run into a burning building and save each other? People sign up to try to help people. Like People actually do try to help each other. We are a communal social animal. So when people just say, without government, no one will help each other, no one will care, things like this, like going back in the water to save people from the sharks, show that it's just not the case. Absolutely. If I could just butt in here, there's a recent case of some, what was it, teenagers or young adults kind of mocking a guy as he was drowning to death. Um, yeah, I remember the, that. Uh, yeah, and um, you know, everybody, it was, I mean, there's universal condemnation. Universal yeah. condemnation of these people saying that this is morally reprehensible. I mean, you're not necessarily under any positive obligation to go jump in yourself, but do something to help if you can. I mean, the, there was so, actually uh, yeah, you're has right. been some talk about them passing a law to now, like, criminalize that in retrospect to criminalize like making not fun helping. of them or not acting not helping see yeah, yeah like a good samaritan there, law yeah. there is some talk about that but well right. I'm, uh, I don't, I'm not sure i entirely understand good samaritan laws because i was a trained lifeguard for a bit and the way that i understand good samaritan laws is that if you try to help someone you're not as responsible for things that go wrong. Like, mm. if you're a doctor and you try to save someone, but you kind of mess up, 
there's malpractice. If you're a random person on the street trying to get CPR, but you don't do it right, you're not under the same uh, legal liability for performing it properly. I so, although at least that's how they teach it in lifeguard school. So don't hmm. like I've, I've always been a bit unsure about how the law actually works on that. Probably should research if I want to be nice. Yeah, but your point, your original point still stands. I mean, we are people that care about, and like you said, we're social animals. We have a an invested interest in uh, helping others, in so that we may expect that kind of assistance when we need it in return. So, yeah, uh, I mean, look at all the people that vote for politicians who promise to care for the poor and all these social welfare programs. I mean, this is obviously a popular thing in people. All the people that want a social net. Oh, social safety net. It's it's a very popular idea. We're not all a bunch of uncaring robots that uh, don't give a fuck. And actually, taking this another step further and bringing it back to look at disasters, um, contrast what was going on to when, like, when you had the soldiers take charge. So I, I'm trying to remember exactly how the scene went down. I watched the movie a couple months ago, and I forgot to rewatch it. Um, did either of you see that scene? I'm trying to make sure I get it right. What are you talking um, about? What movie? Wait, no, I'm, I'm mixing something up. Sorry, never mind. Sorry, I meant contrast in general to when soldiers take charge. Like, look at the flooding in Louisiana, how inefficient and slow the government was to move in to help people compared to when actual, like, just Samaritans. What was it? There was that something armada that people literally just came together and brought boats and rescued people. And then a, a state congressman tried to require them all to buy licenses to do it. Or look at just how... In Sharknado, the government's not the one that responds fast and saves people. It is the other, the other just regular people. Yeah, it is the heroes of the story that do go run around, especially the, like, um, our main character saves, I guess, like a bunch of old retirees and by getting them inside the house and, uh, pulling them out of a pool. And there are some other things, yeah, and then they rescue a kid full of, a bus full of kids. There's a great quote there. There's a great, um, let's see, I wrote it down. Let's see. Here we go. Um, so this is the guy talking to the bus driver. Bus drivers. I read this batch just just before all the electronics went off. They said someone from 911 is sending someone over to help. Oh, yeah. Want to wait for them? Hell no. Just a good example of the government slow. Actually, um, since I'm in Japan, I'll give an example from here. After the uh, tsunami, you one of the first groups to go in and help the, like, transport massive amounts of food and support and supplies to people that were affected was actually the Japanese mafia. They were well ahead of the government. Mm. Like, this is a mafia, and they're still being good Samaritans. It's actually right. funny, the Japanese mafia, they, they're they large enough, I believe they have, I think it's around over 10% of the population believes they should just be allowed to exist, and they have essentially become a quasi-government in some ways. But well, don't is, the mafia, I mean, they, they operate mostly black market things, right? Like gambling um, and... And the Japanese mafia is actually a little bit more open. They ha- they are also in a lot of legal business, but they do also they also do black market things. But some of the black mar- market things aren't even that. It, th- there's a difference between really black market things and kind of no one really pays attention black market things. You get what I'm saying? Like no. Okay, in Japan, there's a thing called um, soplans. They are so prostitution is illegal in Japan, but essentially just the act of sex. Soaplands theoretically is you're like in a bath and a girl washes you 
but it generally doesn't stop there, even though technically it's supposed to. So it's kind of a bit of a gray market where everyone knows it happens, but no one does anything about it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of areas um, where there's a sort of gray market where the Yakuza will step in and often they'll provide protection, they'll provide mediation services, and a lot of times actually they'll just provide mediation services for criminal enterprises like selling drugs and other things. So a lot of stuff that they do, everyone knows it's going on, but it's not really affected. Now, are they, would you say that they're a little bit more voluntary than, uh, say, traditional mafia, where they'll come into your business and say, it looks like you need some protection around here, and they'll bust the place up and, until um, they're paying it? It's, uh, there, there's a lot of different aspects. Like, if you look at their history, they originally started out, out providing voluntary protection for stalls and marketplaces and things that were, like, just there was protection there before. They do do some stuff that is violent or threats of violence. Um, for example, they will buy an amount of stock in a company and then show up to shareholders meetings being people that everyone else there knows they are in the mafia. And I don't remember what, like, they try to get them to do, but it is essentially a threat because... Yeah. But, yeah, so they, it's not all pretty. There's a lot of really bad things going on, too, but it is just an interesting the difference. And once again, they provided faster help than the government. And, of course, private citizens are even faster still, generally. Right. Um, also, I believe there were a couple of things of, like, dams breaking and other stuff going on. And just in general, why is the government in charge of water? They're so bad at it. They're just terrible. It's like, I mean, there's obviously stuff like Flint, Michigan, but even if you just look at California and the drought there, because the government gives special privileges to the agricultural industry and literally gives them the water for free and gives them so much extra that they sell that extra water back to other people. There are just all kinds of problems with how the government handles water, but for some reason, oh, it's public, public utility, you need to have them do it. Especially it bothers me when you have stuff like the UN coming in and saying that water is a human right, and that because in Flint, Michigan, people need to buy and carry water bottles, that violates your human rights. When in much of the world, including Japan and Brazil, you can't drink tap water, people often carry large water bottles, or you have delivery services for them. It makes no sense. And of course, if water is a human right, why aren't they going and fixing it in Africa instead of Flint, Michigan? Flint, Michigan had Walmart and other private companies step in and give them as much bottled water as they need. A good rant. I appreciate that rant. I like a good I, rant. I, I, I ranted a lot. I ranted a lot this episode. I'm sorry. I've the last couple Don't of days. I've been talking to people on Facebook that are not very open-minded, and even before then, just in Japan, can't do much politics stuff. So I have lots well, of rants. Good. Good thing it came on the show where we have people on who agree with us 99 <laughs> of the time. So. So we can help so, you out there, Drake. And I hope you cracked like that uh, bottle of rum, by the way, because we're oh, going to get into overdrive yet. a little oh, bit yeah. later here. I should start doing some now so I can be ready. Okay, yeah, turn I the frogs have, gay and everything. I have And the sharks. Turn the frogs and the sharks gay. <laughs> turn the sharks gay, yes. Yeah, I think I have 350 milliliters. Woo. There we go. That's a third of my bottle of rum. Oh. All in oh, one we, shot? Yeah. I mean, if I was planning to remain mostly sober. No, I wasn't planning to remain mostly sober. I just do the whole thing in one shot. Well, I think you got to turn the camera on for that, Drake. It's going to get crazy. If we're going to start doing dares here. <laughs> uh, I, I'm turning it on for a second. You can see how much I drank. All Patreon supporters at the $5 and up level can see footage of how much rum I just drank. 40%. I didn't drink a ton. It's a bit of a small bottle. I don't find the amount on here anywhere. Oh, well. 
And then ten dollars supporters can watch you drink the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, you're in a lot of ten dollars supporters. So, um, where was I? Oh yeah, although you're saying that the people you agree with ninety nine percent of the time, I was thinking you're going to segue it into the controversies. No, bomb shoes. That bad joke. How did that that I mumble? You just say Tom No, I said I thought you were going to segue it into the Contra Cruise. Oh no, just Tom Shoes. You know, segues all all segues oh. lead to the Contra Cruise. Yes. Yeah. Well, I did see Tom's email <laughs> that came through today where he kept oh, that was so great. promoting <laughs> promoting great. the cruise to that guy who was calling him Nazi. So that was great. That was the best one. But yeah, you were saying it would be re ninety nine percent of the time. So now I was thinking that was an open invitation to get into Tom Shoes. Tom Shoes. Disagree the one percent. Yeah, well, I don't want to stray too far from the movie because there's so okay. much good content Honestly, in the movie. That- Sharknado Drake- is just about life in general. It applies to everything. Tom Shoes right, applies but, to Sharknado. But, Drake, you told us <laughs> that Sharknado was one of the top three libertarian films of all time. That's true. And here we are an hour into the show, and you have not made the case for really anything libertarian about this other than – Okay, how much voluntary saving is going on? Like, how much are they helping people voluntarily? Right, but isn't that just a a matter of humanity? Like, don't you think that they're helping people voluntarily while talking about government services coming in to help and about how bad they are? You got a point. Well, of course they're bad. Yeah, I didn't watch that. To talk about that, how many movies are just like, oh, the government's here to help save us? Yay! Yay! Okay, now I'm trying to remember. I, I should have watched the movie again. I was going to, and then I started ranting on Facebook. Um, didn't the police try to actually block and stop their car for a while? The military tried to block and stop their car for a while? There is a silly kind of chase scene where they're driving in this big Hummer, and the Hummer has this big cartoonish button on it that says, like, nitrous. <laughs> and, they yeah, they get to a point in, like, an intersection, and they don't want to wait. So it's not really clear exactly why, but they just kind of go through and then they cut to some stock footage of a um, police motorcycle taking off, and then they, you know, kind of juxtapose the two, so it seems like they're being chased by cops. But, yeah, yeah, they're, they're being chased by cops for seemingly no reason, other than they needed to have some sort of uh, further obstacle for the, for the heroes. I don't know. It was, it, and it and think about this. They're being chased by cops while people are dying and being eaten by sharks. You think the cops would have something better to do? That's to one of my notes. Why don't they have something better to do? Like, that is a perfect example of, like, what's happening right now where cops are cracking down on the drug war while you have a single-digit uh, murder-solve rate in inner cities. Like, right, but, Drake, is this intentional? Do you think that they're trying to make a point here, or do you think that this is just a terrible editing job in a movie well, that's in, not very good? Well, when we reference Sharknado 3, <laughs> and okay. you see – let's see here. What's the title of it? Sharknado 3, Oh, Hell No. Um, and – he is getting a presidential medal of honor, and then you have another Sharknado come and hit the Capitol, and you see the blatant incompetence of all of the president's special security. You see how they keep trying to stop them at security checkpoints, even as he's saving the president's life, and they're being attacked by Sharknados, by, by sharks from the NATO. Ah, that's weird. Um, it is very clear that they're portraying extreme government incompetence. And that a private individual is doing it better in every way. I'm not 100% sure it's intentional. I can't say that there are libertarians trying to propagandize people, but you also can't say that about Ghostbusters. So. Yeah, I, I would like to counter your your argument just in, with one key point. Not 
Okay. Not, I don't know anything about the rest of the series, but there is a point in the first Sharknado okay. where the gang stop in at some kind of a convenience store, and there is a guy working at the store, the clerk, and it turns out he's like this government conspiracy theorist, and he thinks that the, that the Sharknado is because of the government, and he's clearly depicted as this anti-government kook. Mm-hmm. So or if you're anti-government, then you're crazy. That's I mean... It, go against your idea there, sir. There, there are kind of anti-government kooks out there. Like, I'm not saying that if you say that there are kooks that are anti-government conspiracists, you're not really wrong, though. Yeah, true. But I mean, like, if you, movie, find, if you want to find a crazy conspiracy theorist, then pretty much every single doomsday movie needs to have a crazy conspiracy theorist. They're pretty much always saying the government's behind something. Okay, granted. The government is an easy target for conspiracy theories. I agree. I mean, it's either that but, or Illuminati. Right, I mean, whether they're, or aliens, I suppose. Or, yeah. But, okay. Things. All right, all right. So, how many of these shark do you think they're going to be, Drake? You think they're going to go? Just keep going? They're putting out one a year. It's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, all right, okay. Um, okay. Oh, here's another. Derail, but go ahead. Oh, that's good. Um, also, let's be honest. You have never in your life seen a better argument for the Second Amendment than Sharknados. That's why we need guns. Shark yeah, you need, you need guns when sharks are raining down from the sky. It yes. wasn't super clear to me why people did, couldn't just walk slowly away from a shark. Well, sometimes they'll like hit you out of the sky. There are others. <laughs> well, somebody, somebody could walk away, but then they would jump cut to someone getting mangled by a shark. Like, it would yeah. be a sunny day in one scene, and then a torrential downpour in another scene, like immediate you know, jump cut style. Yeah. And it seemed like if you were the guy from Star Trek beaming down to the planet and you weren't one of the main cast, the sharks were going to get you. Yeah. I mean, even if the sharks are only hitting, like, one out of 20 people, which, I mean, is less than was happening in the movie, that that's still a lot of people. Yeah. Greater LA area. Guns or, I guess, chainsaws in this case, mostly. Now, there were a couple – well, okay. See, this is the kind of thing. I mean, when you're dealing with a joke movie, mm-hmm. it's hard to criticize it because it's obviously a joke. But there is a scene later on talking about, like, shotguns and pistols where they're shooting at sharks that are clearly, like, a mile away from them. And they're mm-hmm. shooting them with pistols and shotguns. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, knocking, they're shooting the sharks out of the sky. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay, that, that's true. They kind of – there weren't – that part was a bit off. It has what? It has a $2 million budget. Not exactly Hollywood standards. <laughs> so, Drake, what is what is the genesis for the Sharknado? Like, why are they seemingly flying through the air, but then when they're shot, they fall out of the sky? Like, is there some sort of levitation effect going on? Is Are they unicorns or magic rainbow poops coming out of the back end? What's going on here? Um, I think it was in number three or so they talked a bit about it, that when they looked inside a shark, they actually found bird remains, meaning the sharks were staying long-term up in the atmosphere, and I think there was something about, like, swallowing extra air. I'm not entirely sure for that part. That's kind of, yeah. I didn't see some clips of them in low-Earth orbit, like, yes. attacking astronauts. <laughs> yes. That <laughs> does happen in Sharknado, The Force, The Fourth Awakens. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> So, Robert, um, you you got to watch the rest of them now, right? Like, how could you not? Yeah, Drake's selling me on them, man. He's really selling well, them. Well, I will point out this, that the first one got 82% Rotten Tomato. It's all downhill from there, but <laughs> Shark, Sharknado 2 is 59%. Sharknado 3, oh, hell no, is 34%. <laughs> and The Fourth Awakens is 18%. So yes. okay. it's a downward sloping demand curve, so to speak. 
uh, I hope the next one hits single digits. I believe in it. So are they just are they just not as fun to watch? Oh no, I just I don't know. I have no idea. I, they're still pretty fun, but it's literally it's a movie that the most fun way to watch it is with some friends and probably some alcohol or weed. Okay. Sounds or weed. See, I'm a terrible libertarian. I have done no drugs. Oh yeah, you're the worst. Like. There was one of those things in the Gary Johnson dank meme stash, which I am part of because I am part of a lot of dank meme stashes, including the Emperor Trump and Hillary Clinton ones, just to see what they post. And they were like, hey, what's your dollar amount? And it has like a list of 50 drugs and a dollar amount next to them. I got one dollar because I just on alcohol. Ugh. Filthy commie. Yep. Okay, actually, this is a bit of a side note, not exactly off Sharknado, but I found – but. What I was thinking about during it, and it's actually really neat to think about. In every single government like action movie, when you have someone they're like they're actually a government agent, they pretty much always have to break or ignore bureaucratic rules to to actually solve a case and get anything done. Even in the pro government pro government agent films, they still say that the bureaucratic rules don't work, and with them in place, it's impossible to actually save people. Yeah. I, mean, I think yeah. about it. Like, even, like, the 24 movies. Like, literally, all he does is ignore rules, ignore procedure, and just do whatever the heck he wants. He goes rogue. Yeah. Like, they always go rogue. com slash 35, Rogue One, Star Wars. <laughs> like, think about it. Just, I, I literally, I was trying to think. I can't think of a movie where they just followed procedure and saved the day. Yeah. Are, are, are there yeah. any? They probably exist, but yeah, there maybe they're too much like propaganda films. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just maybe it's just boring, but it seems to me that everyone realizes bureaucratic procedure, like the, what the government does, just doesn't work. That it's and that when you have these films, and the government succeeds, it's these spectacular individuals inside of the government that ignore government rules and abuse their loopholes and technology to do their own thing and succeed. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, that's and, a good and that's point. even like on the sort of pro-government movies, which is what was kind of shocking to me now I think about it. Like even something like a Independence Day, which is almost like almost universal government kind of thing. It's a kind of Paul Krugman love fest where there's an alien invader. So everyone has a band together. The main guy is still literally they're just obeying the orders of their superiors and going outside the command structure and doing crazy things and sacrificing, and it works. Like, I can't think of a movie where someone listens to their superiors in the government and actually saves a day. Yeah, that might be a good quest for us to go on, Daniel, if we could find a movie like that. But yeah, you, uh, Drake might be right about this. I'm getting kind of scared. Yeah, and what's well, funny is that so many... Right, but so many movies are produced by total socialists, you know? Yeah. Well, actually, well, like, maybe, the maybe if it was like American Sniper, I guess that's kind of like a really... I've never actually seen it, but that sounds like a he was just following orders kind of movie. Have you guys seen that, American Sniper? Uh, No, we've talked about maybe doing that, um, but... If yeah. you do, you need to get a military person on, though. There's a few in the time. Yeah, yeah, actually, we've uh, talked about um, getting a military man on, a former military guy, to do that episode. Yeah, that was uh, one that I was loath to even consider watching, <clears throat> but somebody was calling us out on it, saying that we really need to do that one. Well, getting back on topic, it's also important to note just how much harder someone fights for their family. Like, if, if your family and your friends are at risk, people do a lot more. And it's actually, you can see this historically a bit, um, for example, in the ancient Greek city-states, which are highly decentralized over a thousand city-states, um, they were 
able to repel um, major imperial forces that no one else was able to because they were highly decentralized. You had a lot of innovation in how they attacked, including using things like cranes to destroy ships. And especially because the soldiers were not motivated by money, the soldiers were fighting to protect their own family. And I believe Adam Kokesh talks about this a bit in the book Freedom. Um, but if someone was actually invading America, people would fight and they would fight a lot harder. And you see this time and time again. I mean, even looking at America again, looking during World War II after um, Pearl Harbor was bombed, all of the military going into World War II, those were volunteers. Like People will fight for their friends and their family. And like something like Sharknado is obviously a joke, but you still see, hey, I'll kind of help out other people or I'll maybe do it for money, like the cops that didn't actually stop, do anything to help. But when your family is at risk, you do everything. So it's kind of, or of course, you can look at different examples of um, guerrilla forces repelling invaders and so on. All right, Drake, yeah, I got to ask you, are, are you dog whistling to the neo-Nazis out there in the world, all seven of them? Because <laughs> Yes, because decentralization is the most Nazi thing ever. <laughs> right, but um, you're basically making the same point that Jeff Dice made at the Mises University thing this last week, and he got called out by Steve Horowitz about dog whistling to Nazis because he used the term blood and soil. Okay, I'm just going to be really clear. Blood and soil, blood and soil, blood and soil. Also, I'm Jewish. So it's actually funny because when I talked about so – actually, I'm going to tell a bit of a personal story right now for a second and totally ignore the movie because I'm now the communist overlord. I love this. This is great. I should be in charge of everything. Like, I'm a bit of a, like, I think I'm enough intellectual to think that I know everything and then like have my – what is it? The fatal conceit and just run everything. But yeah. So my great-grandmother came to the U.S. from Russia when she was a child. So my family, that society was Jewish. And they, so went and actually, if you go back farther generations, it was like very orthodox for kosher and everything. Um, when she was young, okay, I'm going to, this is a very long tangent, so I apologize. So if you're Jewish on every um, Sabbath, you don't do any work. You just so if you want to have food, you prepare the food in advance and then leave it overnight. And that's actually how snow cookers got invented. So as my grandma, as my great grandmother's family was, were bakers, they had a large like fireplace and every, like the day before the Sabbath, all the Jewish families would come over and bring over their pots for like slow cooking and stuff around the big fire and leave them there for the day. So my great grandmother noticed one day, one of the pots was dry. There was no water in it. So she poured water in it because, you know, like you have to have water in a slow cooker. On the next day, everyone comes over and picks up the pots, and there's one extra left behind that no one took. Um, it turns out it was a pot that she poured water in, and that was actually a bomb hidden under the food that if there were not the water in, it would have detonated. So like, there were terrorists against the Jews, and this was not in Nazi Germany. This was in Soviet Russia. This is where my mother had, my great-grandmother had to leave because she was afraid for the life. So if you're talking about the Nazis being evil and awful, talk about the communists and the Stalinists that not only killed more, but also killed Jews. And also, there, like, even if you're just talking about racial things, they did worse. And then, of course, you talk about how that they did false trials of the kulaks and went after anyone who owned any property and killed the mass and the starvations and the multiple purges and everything else. It's like, okay. Nazis. You know who does more than Nazis without killing? Socialists. You know who's still killing people right now, today, in Venezuela, in Cuba? Socialists. Not the Nazis. Nazis are gone. They have no power. 
Everyone hates the Nazis, but people right, but people are going to wear the T-shirts of the of the socialists doing all this killing. Yeah, Che Guevara lined up and killed gays. Anyone care? Hello, come on, please. <laughs> no, he's a socialist <laughs> hero, so they don't care. Yeah. Okay, I have no idea where I was. No, that's fine. I, I actually like this tangent because it gets controversial. And I, I, I want to bring up the point that the former president of Iran, Ahmadinejad, I'm saying his name wrong, but he was called a Holocaust denier and this next Hitler and all these things simply because he said, maybe we should question why the Holocaust is the only atrocity we ever get repeatedly beaten over the head with. Yeah. Like, what about all the other atrocities? What about all the other regimes that had slavery and starvation and death camps and famines and all of these things why is it that only this one incident which yes terrible and we should always you know denounce anything that is anything close to that evil but to totally ignore the ones that are even doing greater numbers of harm like greater greater killings and then being celebrated and and a resurgence in those ideas coming into being even in uh the american politics is kind of discerning or uh concerning you know I people now think of socialism today. as the compassionate and, and nice thing to do um dave smith talks about this and his main theory is kind of just who won because the germans lost so especially not just like who won the war but because they lost because people went in you had outsiders going in and taking photographs you had people that were in the camps liberated that came out and told their stories. If you look at the Russians, they were not only winners and on our side and friends. And then, of course, the the U.S. journalists praised them. I believe there was a famous story where one of the U.S. many U.S. journalists going to the Soviet Union and just like keeping praises on them saw this big machine in a factory and was like, oh, this is so amazing and efficient. We could never have anything like this in America that's so technologically advanced and well planned by the government and he goes around and on the machine it has stamped made in Brooklyn. So but that's just a side tangent, but because they never lost, like they didn't lose the war, because we didn't go in and take a thousand photographs of the death camps and the gulags. Because that's a good point. We, yeah, we the victors write the stories. Because where is the Anne Frank diary? There isn't an Anne Frank diary of Russia because Anne Frank died. Because Anne Frank never, there was never someone there to say you can come out of the attic because she died in that attic and Stalin killed her. And because she died, no one cares. Sorry. No, no, that's a very good point though because you're right. Like the history is written by the victors yeah. and Germany was the loser. And so all of these terrible things can come to light and be crafted to make them out to be the worst thing ever. And I, I'm no, in no way defending them, but it's funny how they then conflate anyone who is the next target of American imperialism as the next Hitler. Yeah. When it's <laughs> literally the United States doing the terrorizing, doing the transgressions, you know, if, if, if there's this... Um, thought experiment, you know, like if you were an alien looking at Earth through a very high-powered telescope and you saw these soldiers around the world all with the same little flag on their arms, you would think that that flag represents the entire world. Because There's actually a bit of a controversy in Japan right now because one of the southernmost islands of Japan, um, Okinawa, which is one of like the most famous tourist attractions, 
the majority of the land on that island is still claimed by the U.S. government right now. It's a U.S. base. Right now, when I go to work, I ride a bus that goes around the fence of a military base so large it has its own multiple soccer fields, its own high school, its own major shopping mall. It is one of the many bases on Japan. I, 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 I don't like to agree with socialists. I really don't. They're not that wrong when they call the U.S. imperialist. They're really not. I, mean, yeah, I, I don't want to agree with that. But... <laughs> well, they conflate it with capitalism, which, of course, is incorrect. Yeah, which right. is antithetical to capitalism. Okay, let's go back to the fun, happy movie. Well, Sharks! Overdrive. Actually, you know what? Here, one sec. I'm just going to drink a bit more. This, this makes everything. That's okay. right. What's the Sam Jackson movie? Snakes on a plane, so not sharks, but you could just mix it up and say, where are all these motherfucking um, wait, 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 sharks wait, wait. on this motherfucking plane? Um, uh, The Asylum, the group that made Sharknado, they did a movie called um, Snakes on a Train. People that made Sharknado did a movie called Snakes on a Train. Love it. Made me so happy. Mm. It's great. Freaking love capitalism. Okay. Honestly, we should do that movie next. Probably not. I've never actually seen it. It's probably bad. Okay. Let's see. Where was I? Actually, let's let's go to the finale. And the thing is, this I'm gonna tie this together with a couple other like with the finales of the next two movies as well. Think okay. about how that they stop the ending Sharknado. This is private people using a helicopter and bombs they made themselves to go up and put a bomb in the middle of a tornado, and blow it to pieces. That is insane. I yes, mean, it is insane. All okay. of a sudden, these regular now, people are professors who make these well, bombs. No, no, no. But I want to talk about what's insane about it, is trying an idea that sounds absolutely crazy, that everyone thinks is just wrong, and it works. If the government is one in charge, they would never have done that. And if you look at the entire history of innovation, its ideas that make no sense and are insane that then work 10% of the time, that 10% gives us the best things in the world. Like, what is it? Penicillin is literally some guy scraped mold off the ground, and it turned out to be amazing medicine. Or like, there's all this crazy stuff that makes no sense that people just tried randomly. It creates this great innovation. The government was the one saying that we have to authorize every single countermeasure against Sharknados. They would never have done that. Right, yeah. Government can waste tons of resources, but they can actually achieve a goal of, say, getting to the moon or whatever, making a space program. But that is somebody with the, the bureaucracy of directing all those resources and minds towards this goal that was thought up by some bureaucrat, right? They're not good at, like what you just said, discovering some random thing and developing it and creating all these wild things. You never know where the inventive mind is going to lead you. That could never happen as directed by some government bureaucrat because you need the genius of the free market to build that sort of thing. Well, another part of that also is that you need, especially as an engineer, what part of what you need in science is um, contradictory research. You need to research both do, does weed cause cancer and does weed cure cancer. Like you need to have multiple options in your research. Imagine if you, if a senator tried to talk to his constituents and said, "Hey, we're funding research on both does weed cause cancer and does weed cure cancer." Think how fast you get out of office for being an idiot funding two things at once. But that's how science works, because we don't know. So you try a million and one options, and all of a sudden something works. And if these people, if the bomb hadn't worked to stop the Sharknado, then another group of people would have tried something else. Another group of people would have tried something else. You, the main thing that you want in the free market 
is that you have every egg in their own basket. The government is every egg of one basket, and that one basket is being thrown back and forth over a canyon. I don't know. Something dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) I blame the alcohol. All right, Drake, are you almost through the, your notes on this movie? Because we can we can start turning the sharks gay and get into <laughs> our overdrive and wind this official show down. And yeah, unless that you have a few more all, points to make. I mean, that covers pretty much... Actually, I forgot. There's one other point that I forgot that was interesting. This would be the last one. In an apocalypse scenario, can you steal a car? How does homesteading work when there's chaos when there's essentially zero chance of restitution, when the people that own it are probably dead and the system's in fragments, how do you actually handle the property rights in that area? That's pretty, I think that's the last thing that I have. Yeah, I believe that's the last things I have for Sharknado 1, unless you want to do 2 through 5. But, well, I think yeah. we need to so, save those for future episodes, Drake. Because this one, this one has had so much content. I know. <laughs> Sharknado's the best. But yeah. All so right. what do you this one is actually something that like I've been ranting a lot. This one I actually really had no clue. I thought about it a little bit. I mean, I guess if the person's dead, you can and they there's no way of determining your property rights, but if the person's alive, you really can't confirm that because there might be hiding and is it an imminent you need it to save your life and they don't, but that's I mean, it's it's an application of a couple other different libertarian conundrums, like the stereotypical um what is it, David Friedman, can you steal a nickel if that means that you save the whole planet from destruction, but that violates the NAP, so thus the NAP doesn't work and you have to go off utilitarianism, but it's a bit of a different application. So what do you I like, think? Well, like, I, I, I've defended against that argument um, with if something is only worth a nickel, then it wouldn't be worth it wouldn't be worth a nickel if it, w- if it could save the planet. You know, you if know, it could save oh, everybody, then it would be the one unique only solution to the problem, and therefore the price would be significantly higher than a nickel. But let's say oh, there what, are what, other cases, there are things like Sharknado, where you're, let's say, instead of stealing a nickel, you want to steal a gallon of gas to make a firebomb and throw it in a Sharknado. No one will believe that that would actually work, and it makes no sense, but it does work, but you need to steal a gallon of gas. But that's a, okay, now we're in the hands of this. Okay, here's, here's my answer. Here's my answer. In that situation, is the actual owner of the property, if you can reasonably assume that the, the owner of the property would consent after the fact, then I think you can go ahead and do that. I think if you can oh, explain, you can explain that, to the owner of the gasoline later, say, hey, man, I there was a shark. It was falling out of the sky. I had to gra- I, I saw your gas can there, and I used it to blow up the shark. I'm sorry, man. That's I think a vague said, standard. That, that person would go, okay. If you can reasonably assume. Well, there's a whole lot of reasonably assuming sort of things. in. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's a like you can explain it later. Ooh. Like if if, if you're if you if, if you could if you could steal the nickel, but to save humanity, I think the owner of that nickel would go, yeah, take the nickel. I what would. If you're wrong. If you're wrong, then you deal with the consequences of it. And go, man, okay. I owe you a nickel. Sorry, I owe you a nickel. Here's okay. a nickel. Well, then what about the apocalypse scenario? Or, or three times three times damages. Here's fifteen cents. Yeah, I mean whatever the, the person thinks is, is is required to as restitution. In the apocalypse scenario, it definitely gets stickier, and yeah. and you're going to have to go. Well, okay, I needed to steal this car in this exact situation in order to save my own life. Would the actual owner of the car, if this person could be determined, because if this person is still alive or not, we don't know, would he consent? Would a reasonable person consent? 
to save my okay, life. Okay, okay. Here, let's, let's make it trickier. There is a 20% chance that the person you're stealing the car from is hiding in the basement of their house next to the car, waiting for things to become less chaotic, take the car and flee. Yeah. All right. So, Drake, I'll, I'll break it that? down to this point. Okay. You handle it the same way you handle it if there's the government, which is the government has no bearing on this. So That's true. Like well, yeah, if the argument is a justification we're, we're for government, government versus – But you see what I'm saying, though, right? Like, like our argument is the government is unnecessary and evil. Yeah. And if somebody's counterpoint to that is, well, what about this made-up scenario? Well, then you look at it not against a utopia, but against present day, against with the government. Well, what would the case be in a catastrophe scenario with government? With government. It would be the same as, you know, in the voluntary situation. You, would, you wouldn't be, see a discernible difference in that particular scenario playing out. Oh, no, that's true. I'm, like, I'm, not, even, I'm not asking us, like, a, how would libertarian hand, well, libertarians handle this? I'm just curious, what would you actually do with property rights? I mean, we can we can turn it to something more present day. We can say, look at abandoned houses in Detroit. Can someone go in and just homestead and take over those abandoned houses? I know that in some areas, like if you're in the British Virgin Islands, they have laws. I should know. Is it? No, there's some other island. It begins with the G. It's in the Gulf of Mexico. Guatemala. Um, if you're in Guatemala, they have a law in place that if you're living on a property for over five years, you have homesteaded a right and ownership of that property. If I remember correctly. From when I was last there. Not an island. What? Am I thinking not an island, therefore, not an I island, hate, therefore you're wrong because I, you're fucking right. I hate male. geography. I hate and geography. And you're wrong on the technical aspect designation of whether it's an island or part of a continent. So therefore, <laughs> everything else you've said is wrong. Okay, every continent is just a giant island. Let's be honest. Okay, well let me ask or answer your your Detroit question. I think I think if you with today's technology it's fairly easy to determine who owns what. And if you make a reasonable attempt to contact the owner. Now, are you saying that is it okay for you to just homestead without even trying to contact the owner? And then when the home owner comes along and says, hey, you're on my property, you can go, hey, you abandoned it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, if you let's let's say not contact the owner. I mean, I, I believe that's generally the case, but not always, especially considering the what year the actual records may be from. There may literally only be a phone number, mailing address, contract, a contact number, which would no longer work because of most phone numbers probably changed in the interim or have changed generations. So I believe it would be much more difficult to contact someone than you think, especially considering when Detroit was actually abandoned and when um, the property claims the different documents were filed to own that property in Detroit was probably, what, 50s or earlier? I, okay, well, I don't wait, believe wait, that wait. there's much of a case that, like, okay, I don't sorry. believe it would be that possible to contact someone. Okay, so what's what's exactly are, is the question, though? I mean, are you saying that the homesteader, the, the squatter, essentially becomes a homesteader and now then owns the land? Or are you saying that they're not actually aggressing on abandoned land until the homeowner comes back and says, hey, get off? That's the question that I'm asking, because, I mean, if you go and you see that the deed to the property, the, that no one has paid for in years, no one has referenced it, um, that you can't, the kind of thing that doesn't work, can you just take the property and homestead it? And then claim ownership? Or yeah. until claim ownership, ownership until the actual owner comes along? Claim ownership. Just claim ownership. And the next person, the actual owner that comes along and says, hey, get off my land, you're like, Psh, it's mine. Possibly. This is what I'm not sure about. I mean, as much as I'd like to 
this socialist and communist, when I go and I debate them, they challenge notions of property rights like this. Like how okay. long do you have to abandon property before you're just an evil capitalist pig claiming things that they can do with you? Okay, okay. So if you own a piece of property, say you buy some piece of property somewhere, what mm-hmm. obligation do you have to maintain it? Honestly, I would, I would say you have sure. zero. I would say you have zero obligation. But I mean, if, if you're going property, off that route, if you're going off the that whole idea route, about property is that you have the right to destroy it. You have the right to do whatever you want with it. Okay, let's take a historical example. Um, that has to do with the America when it was first being settled. You had wealthy property owners on the seaboard that were buying, lar- buying large um, swaths of land that were then settled upon by settlers coming to the West that had actually gone there and homestead the land, unlike people purchasing a property. And then there were major disputes where essentially someone bought the land, never did anything with it, and then claimed ownership in spite of other people actually going there and rigorously homesteading and developing the land. By your logic, then the person who just bought it and claimed ownership has the right. And I believe in the, that it would be the person that actually went there and homesteaded and worked on the land that would have much more claim to it. So, okay. So by your logic then, if you bought some land and you say have like a yard, you don't put a building on it, but then I can just walk in there and put a building on it, live in there. And then I've homesteaded it away from you? Okay. You bought a piece of a section of forest in the middle of a forest that's pretty much indistinguishable from all other sections. You have never been there. You have never seen it. Right. Someone else comes there after, like, you've owned this for years, like decades. Someone else comes there and starts using it. Yeah. And then after they built their house, after they built their farm, you come up and say, hey, I own this. Get off. Who has a property right? The owner. I think the person... The person. I gotta say, the person that home said it, the person that used it, when it was essentially unowned for a long period well, of time... Well, what, are you, what are you talking about? Essentially unowned. If you go what, just walking into the forest and go, well, I mean, it's probably not owned by anybody. I'm just going to start building a house. You, you have a certain amount of interest to determine if it really is unowned or if there really is an owner and to determine who that is. And well, to if, we're ta- if we're talking in a libertarian, voluntary society, there's probably multiple um, different legal systems and there are multiple different registries of land usage and ownership. Let's say if there's 10 different people you can buy your ownership claims with, and I check 9 out of 10, but you're number 10, so I've done pretty rigorous checking to see if it's owned, and uh, as far as I can tell it isn't, there's nothing to say that it isn't. I don't really know. Well, okay, come on now. Come on, there's like Zillow.com. There's some kind of aggregate society group would, would have records for pretty much every single plot of land on the planet. Okay. Uh, you can still get some weird independence. Like you could, maybe it's an Amish person. They don't like the internet. I don't know. <laughs> they would own the, own the land and then therefore it wouldn't be registered with anybody? Yeah. I don't know. But, okay. <laughs> the hard well, conversation. The good news is, Drake, I, I'm going to... If you don't already have it, I'm going to give you access to the Rothbard repository, and you can actually search for this type of thing where Rothbard talks about homesteading or other any other topic of your desire in more than 60 lectures. Nice. You can very easily search it. Sweet. And oh, is that actually like text-based search? Yes, and it's also something that's available to people who are Patreon subscribers at the $10 or more level, but because you are our very first supporter, Drake, you're going to get pretty much anything we offer. Time preference. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for jumping in before the crowd. Yeah. Well, actually. So, hey guys, let's let's, 
Okay, sorry, let's wind down. Well, I was going to say, let's wind this one down for Sharknado and then move into Overdrive. Let's turn these frogs and sharks gay. <laughs> yes. Start to feel the alcohol. Sounds like a good time. All right, all right, Daniel. G- give, me your, give me your rating and review of Sharknado. Overall impressions. All right, so in the 17 minutes of this movie that I watched, I felt it was campy and kind of terrible. There were so many jump cuts between totally different scenes that were spliced together to appear as if they were the same scene. Like you had mentioned the perfectly calm sunny day contrasted with a freaking tornado hurricane coming in, battering at the coastline. Uh, and I get it. It's supposed to be campy, but I don't know. Maybe I just needed to be more in the, more in that mindset. Yeah. I need to be like really drunk or really high and I don't smoke weed. So, you know, whatever. But, I think I don't mean to interrupt you, but if you would watch the whole movie, I think you get the you get more you can appreciate more of the the campiness because it just gets a lot more ridiculous. Yeah, later it gets on. more and more ridiculous. Like the scene okay, so where it starts he just, out just kind of like awkwardly through the shark, like chainsawing through it, or like he changed yeah. spoilers chainsaw out of the stomach of the shark and all that, all the great stuff. With with the person that had been swallowed by that shark earlier, and that she's still alive. Right. Like a couple was of it later. Was it Sharknado one where the guy got swallowed by like three sharks in a row, or was that shark? Was that a different one? Probably a different one. But there is a scene in Sharknado one where Ian Ziering makes an entire pool full of water explode by sprinkling a little bit of gasoline on top and then lighting on fire. Well, and what later one you have a. Because you know, like they had the shark, the scene where the guy gets eaten by the shark and then chainsaws his way out. On a later one, they have a guy gets eaten by a shark, gets eaten by a bigger shark, gets eaten by a bigger shark, and then chainsaws out through all of them. Or like you have the the guy's son draws a chainsaw out of a stone and then uses that to cut his way out of the sharks. It's, it's so great. Honestly, you're missing out. You need to watch them all every day. Yeah, I think you just get a little bit more appreciation of them the more you watch them. I mean, there's a whole bunch of forced expositionary type dialogue where you get this, there's this really ridiculous uh, character who has this whole backstory about why she hates sharks as if she needed a backstory <laughs> yes. to hate sharks. <laughs> like, yes. It's funny. Okay, but here, but anyway, we, still give Daniel, we won't judge you too Daniel, much. Yeah, we're not going to. Go ahead. This is your opinion, sir. Well, I'm going to go with the black, the black and the red of shark blood. Oh, uh, all over movie. this film. It's, well, it's we a terrible, it's terrible. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> and in honor of our commie guest host, yes. great. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go black, <laughs> black and red on this one. Uh, let's move over to Robert because we're going to save the the commies. Uh, you get the the honored position of being last to speak. The final word. Rating on this. Yeah, you get the final word. So, Robert, what's your rating on this movie? Well, there is a um, there's a Ferris wheel run amok in this movie, and there's the, the people running away from it run straight instead of just off to the side. And then there's also um, a gas tank or a, like an air tank that's put in a shark mouth and then shot. And then there's also somebody saying the line, we're going to need a bigger chopper or helicopter in reference to Jaws. So there's a lot of really fun little references that are kind of like groan-inducing. But like Drake said, I mean, this is a schlocky movie for schlock lovers. <laughs> it's not trying to be good. If they really did make the actors act bad on purpose, they did a really good job because Tara Reid is just wooden and terrible in this movie. Um, there's a whole Actually, bunch of you need, to, awkward... you need to watch The Room eventually because that's a movie that was supposed to be good and comes out as awful, which makes it which also makes it hilarious. But sorry, can you? No, that's right. We will definitely. I'm going to check out this Room movie. It sounds fantastic. Um, but yeah, this movie so 
you know, watching it, I was like, you know, it's, it's, it's black and red for the first, at least the first half hour, 45 minutes. But the second half of this movie is gold, baby. So I don't know if there's a, a way. I think the gold saves it. So I'm going black and gold. Um, if, if the rest of the series really is as good as the, the second half of this movie, then it's worth watching. But, uh, yeah, black and gold for me. What do you think, Drake? Final word, buddy. It literally just keeps getting more and more ridiculous. Like, when you start getting to the point where they have the shark fire NATO and the space lasers, it's so good. It's so, like, ridiculous. I love it. Like, I don't need double black and gold. I sent you the image of a black and gold, like, in the voluntarist V, so I can give, like, two thumbs up. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So that's it. <laughs> You're outvoted. Democracy works. <laughs> All right, Drake, I just put up your image of the, the black and gold voluntary V. So you have been converted from Kami to voluntary. So we've, we've accomplished it. our goal in this movie, in this episode, which can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 36. If you enjoy our content, our shows, the work that goes into it, including the website, do check us out at actuallyanarchy.com slash tip jar, and you'll find all the ways you can support us. We've got Amazon links, Liberty Classroom links, readit4.me links. We've got Patreon at patreon.com slash readrothbard, as well as merchandise available for merchandise. You can rock <laughs> a wife beater that has maximum freedom all over it, or an actual anarchy podcast mug. Or a Reed Rothbard mug, which uh, has our faces and R- Murray Rothbard's faces on it. So mugs on mugs on mugs. It's meta, meta, meta. So I just want to thank Drake being our guest. Thanks for coming back after being on with us for The Breakfast Club. We do appreciate your insights and your challenging questions and copious note-taking. And uh, you're anytime welcome back anytime. <laughs> oh, we love it, man. We love it for sure. So that's going to wrap this episode up for uh, for the show, and we're going to move into Overdrive. We're going to turn the Sharks gay, turn it into Overdrive, and that will be available for Patreon subscribers at the behind-the-scenes access level, which is $5 per month. But I'm going to turn over the BMC um, duties to Robert to give his final thoughts on this show, and then, uh, Drake, you can tell people where to find you, and then we'll get into the Overdrive. Yeah, well, this was a long, strange trip. I didn't think this was going to be... I mean, I, I struggled to, to know what we were going to talk about when I was watching this, this, this weird, this weird, just silly, <laughs> silly, silliness movie with no real rules. Uh, but we did it as usual, um, going off on tangents and having a great guest like Drake on who has a, has a keen mind for asking interesting questions and making good points. So I want to thank him for coming on. And, uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, thanks for, uh, supporting us if you do. Or if you just, uh, want to tell a friend about us or rate us or, any way you want, any way you can. It's a voluntarist world, baby. And uh, Drake, you got any final words for our listeners? I'm just happy to be on. Love podcasts. Love being on podcasts. Um, GuyLibertarianism.com is where to find me, although that's still a work in progress. So not really much else. If you ever want to hit me up on Facebook, I'm the only person on Facebook with my name. So not too hard to find me. I'm, of course, on just about every single libertarian group that you can find, whether it's Tom Woods, Lines of Liberty, Love of Flow, whatever. And I'm always happy to help. Although I can give you some of my rants if you want to use them, because as you have seen, I have many. And hopefully I get to share some more here in the future. Well said, Drake. Well, thanks for coming on. And thank you, audience, for checking us out. And this episode can be found at actuallyanarchy.com slash 36. I bid you adieu. Good night, folks.
the chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do, 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 do